0: One of the uh, truths about Jesus that makes him so relatable to you and to me is that Jesus put on flesh. He worked. He had a labor job. Do you know, he worked uh, probably from the time he was younger than when our kids work, and uh, up until he was 30, he was a carpenter. And uh, not only was he a carpenter, he worked with his hands, but he was a master teacher. He would use animals and agriculture and labor as a way to relate his truths and his stories, like parables. And so I want to use a little illustration like what I imagine he would use with this fence. Now, you guys can tell that this fence is broken, and this fence needs to be mended. Uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, one of the guys in our church said, yeah, Saturday I had to go mend the fence because a steer got out. And fences are really good. Why are fences good? This is just one simple way to think of it. Fences keep the good in and the bad out. They keep the good in and they keep the bad out. And if you don't mend the fence, the good will escape and the bad will enter. Well, you know, that's a, that's a lot like relationships, when a relationship has conflict in it and there's a broken part of a relationship, it's like this broken fence. And you have to mend that relationship. You have to tend to it and help it or else the good will not thrive and grow because the bad will come in and enter, it will fester. You could have a root of bitterness, you could have issues. And so just like this board, like with relationships, you gotta take a nail and you gotta do the work and you could imagine the nail is the truth of God, and you've got to take part of that truth, and you've got to... Oh, that was too easy. That was too easy. In real life, it's harder than that. It's harder than that. That's a pre-drilled hole. So, so you've got to do... I don't want to put it all the way in, because, you know, the guys that are helping me aren't as strong as I am, so I want to give them well. Yeah, okay. you got to do that. You might need a... Yeah, thanks, Katie. Uh, you know, another another nail. Oops, that's the wrong way. I don't, I don't have a labor job, okay? Uh, and some of you have relationships that you might have to get what they call a box of nails, and uh, there's a lot of hammering. Some of you have, some of you are difficult, and you require a lot of nails to mend that fence. But the truth is that God wants us to, just as we mend fences, to keep the good in and the bad out, God wants us to mend relationships, and it gets to the seventh beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, which we're calling a mountain of a sermon. And this is where Jesus is preaching, and he's telling them all these proverbs, these truths that are also paradoxical. They don't seem to match. They, they don't seem logical on the surface. They seem to contradict. But God is giving these parables, giving these proverbs, giving these paradoxical truths because he wants you and I to know what the kingdom is really like. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, the seventh beatitude, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They will be called children of God. Now that's amazing all, in its, all on its own in itself that, that Jesus would say, Hey, God is your father. God is your father. If you put your faith in Jesus, God becomes your father. He loves you like he does his children. And you know what God wants his children to be like? He wants them, one of the ways, he wants them to be peacemakers, to live peaceably with everyone. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, be a peacemaker with everyone. And so we've got to learn to mend. And some of you, some of you aren't into mending unless it's recommending. There's a dad joke. Um, But we need to learn to mend the relationships. And I want to just walk you quickly through the scriptures. There are four ways in which we are called to be peacemakers. Four ways biblically that we're called to be peacemakers. And number one is we need peace between you and God. So I need peace between me and God, and that's called salvation. God wants us to be saved. Because uh, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman that God created, we read this in Genesis chapter 3, he created them, and it was wonderful, and they sinned. They broke God's rule. They disobeyed him. They didn't do what he said. And because of that sin, that nature that we're all born with, we're born with a conflict in our relationship. We have a peace between us and God that's not right. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, every single person in this room. We've all broken and disobeyed uh, God's law. Now, Romans 6.23 tells us more about that. Not only have we all sinned, but the wages of sin is death. death. You guys know Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't want to forget that part. Our wages, what we earn through our sin is death, a physical death that we will all experience unless he returns, and a spiritual death. There's a death between us and God, and that's the conflict. And we need peace with God. The Hebrew people, the Jewish people, when they would say shalom, you know what shalom means? Peace. Peace. They, they knew the, the greatest blessing, the big greeting is peace between you and God. And that's what the Bible calls salvation. I love it in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. When you and I could not make ourselves right with God, God knowing that sent his son Jesus at the right time when you were helpless and he died in our place who else has done that for you? No one's done that for me except Jesus and Jesus alone. At the time when I didn't deserve it and I was what the Bible calls I was an enemy of God. I was a child of the darkness. I was in the kingdom of darkness obeying my flesh. I was just doing what I wanted to do. And we're born selfish. We're born, we're easily angered and we do the wrong things and we say the wrong things and that sin just festers and grows and we're all born with that nature inside of us. And Jesus when I could not help myself, came and died for us. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. There, there are some occasions in which for someone that you love, that you think is a good person, your child, you'll risk your life for your child. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't die for his children. Jesus died for his enemies. That's unlike any superhero movie you've heard of you tell me a superhero movie where they die for the villain. That's what Jesus did. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ took the nails and he made the sacrifice and he did the work so that you and I could be made right with him. He sent his son, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus did that for us. You kids in here, I love that our kids are in here. Even when they're loud, it's better. Have you ever been to church without any kids? This is better. Uh, yeah, amen. I love it. So glad you kids are in here. Kids, if you're, if you're preschool, or not preschool, if you're like grade school, you're, you're before you're a teenager, you know. One way that I would explain it to you is, have you ever gotten a spanking or did you ever get grounded or did you ever get punished? And you got punished, why? Because you did something you weren't supposed to do. Do you know that Jesus took our punishment, he took our spanking, he took our grounding? That's what it means when Jesus was on the cross, all the bad things you did, it's like he took the spanking and he did that for you because he loves you. And he didn't want you to be separated from him. It's kind of like, imagine if, if someone came to your house and took you from your house and said, you can't live with your parents ever again? How many of you kids would like that? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. This isn't the place. (laughs) But what if I told you you can never be with your mom and dad again who love you? A great sadness would grow in your heart. You know what? Jesus died for you so that you would never be separated from him. Like a parent who loves you, he doesn't want you to be away from him. Jesus gave his life to make peace between us and him. And that's not all. God doesn't just want us to have peace between us and Him. He also wants us to have peace with other people. And that's reconciliation peace between you and other people. Paul continues in his letter in the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans in chapter 12. He says, Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. That means, like, be at peace with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. So don't be proud. If you're proud, you won't be a peacemaker. Peacemakers have to be humble. Are you proud? Are you wise in your own estimation? Is God calling you to repent of your pride? Now, do what is honorable in the sight of everyone. In other words, think about what matters to other people and honor them. To be a peacemaker, you do need to think about someone else other than yourself. You can't be selfish and be a peacemaker. So think about others and do what is honorable. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everybody. Everybody, live at peace. Now, that's not always possible. I can tell you firsthand, not possible to always be at peace with everybody. People are going to dislike you and slander you, and there's going to be conflict and disagreement, and, you know, that's going to happen because we're in a broken world. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Do what you can to live at peace. In Ken Sandy's popular book, The Peacemaker, he outlines four Gs, uh, four statements that start with the letter G to try to get people to think, how can you live at peace with one another? And the first is glorify God. You know, we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Glorify God. In all that you do, glorify God. No matter what you do, no matter when you do it, glorify God. So if you want to make peace with other people, if you want reconciliation with others, you want to make it right, you've got to first think, is my heart motive glory to God alone? How can I bring glory to God in this situation? The second is get the log out of your own eye. Get. Get the log out of your own eye. You know, you have that passage in Matthew chapter 7, get the log out of your own eye. Don't think of their sin. Think of your own. Think of yourself first. Don't judge them. Don't be heavy-handed with them. Don't exasperate your children. Think about your own weakness, your own sins, and how God has been gentle with you, which leads you to the second one, gently restore. So glory to God. Get the log out of your own eye. Third, gently restore. Galatians 6.1, be gentle. Restore your brother and sister but be gentle. Do it with gentleness. Season with salt. It's got to be good. It's got to be gentle. People don't need a harsh taskmaster. They need a gentle, loving person because that's how God was with us. Romans, I think it's chapter 2. Uh, uh, Do not judge one another, uh, but remember that it was God's kindness that led you toward repentance. It was God's mercy and kindness that led you to Him. So be gentle as you restore and number four, go and be reconciled. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Listen, if you know that something's wrong between you and someone else, if there's a fence that's broken, don't wait three years before you fix it, like some people in my family. You know, get get done get with it. Take some time out. Even this weekend, for some of you, I know it's Father's Day, so don't ruin your father's day, but you you need to go and be reconciled. You need to make things right with somebody and don't wait a week. Commit to it this week. Write it down. Make a prayer. Make a commitment. I'm going to go and be reconciled with whoever I've got a conflict with. Be a peacemaker, a peacemaker between you and others. So God desires that we make peace between us and others. And thirdly, God desires that we make peace between others and God. And that's called evangelism. So salvation is between you and God. Reconciliation is between you and others. Evangelism is between others and God. So, part of what it means to be a peacemaker is you are taking the necessary steps that other people would be at peace with God. Now, some of you grew up in church and you honestly think and have seen that evangelism is just being a really good person. Evangelism is uh, being such a good person that people say, Oh, that's a good person. They must be a Christian. That's not what evangelism is. It's good for you to be a good person and live wisely, especially in this evil day. Be wisely among the lost people around you. Paul writes about that in Colossians and Romans. And We need to live in a good way. We want to have a good testimony, but that's not evangelism. Evangelism is when you proclaim the good news of Jesus with your words. You need to speak the words of the good news to others. In order for people to believe, they must hear the gospel. Romans 10 verse 14, how then? He's giving you this scenario on purpose. You tell me, Grace Community Church, you tell me, guests and friends that are with us, how then can they call on him who they have not believed in? Your co-workers, who you don't talk about Jesus to, even if you're a good person. How can they believe How can they call on him if they haven't believed in him? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? You have got to share the good news. You've got to verbally share the good news of Jesus. Paul explains what this is in the verses before this in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. What does it say? The message is near you, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Paul is writing to Christians, he's saying, Listen, you guys know the gospel. You know the good news. I don't want to hear those excuses. Oh, I can't share the good news. I don't know what to say. Yes, you do. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart if you're a Christian. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you put your faith in Jesus, you will be saved. Verse 10. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has called us to be peacemakers, and one of the ways in which we make peace is through evangelism, bringing peace between others and God. I like how Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9:16, "'And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel.'" Woe to me. That's not like a, and man, I forgot again. It's okay. That's not what woe means. Anybody know what woe means? Woe means I would rather die. I would rather die than not share the good news with other people that they need to hear it. Woe to me if I do not proclaim the good news, the gospel. That's what God says. We preach the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and our goal is to influence others to follow Christ. So, Remember, evangelism is not just loving people. There's just one extra phrase to that. Evangelism is loving people to Jesus. It's not just loving them, although that's so important. And sometimes you have to discern and test that, how to go about it. You don't, you don't just shoot them on the first try. You know, you gotta, some people need gentle, you know, extra care and, and extra attempts. But you, you share the gospel with them. You love them to Jesus. They're sinners just like us. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself. Remember, reconciliation was God's job. He reconciled us to him. He made peace between us and him because of our sin, which resulted in salvation. God did that with us and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He then, after saving us, has given us this same ministry. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. Do you know that? You are a minister if you're a believer, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are. You are a minister of reconciliation because God has reconciled you to himself and he wants you to be a peacemaker in reconciling others to him, which is evangelism. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and he has committed the message of reconciliation to, come on, I'm not, I'll wait. Wait. God, I'll read it again. And God has committed the message of reconciliation to us. To us. God wants us to, to believe that and to live it. God has given you and me a message of reconciliation. And there's no excuse for not evangelizing. There's no excuse for not sharing the good news with others. No excuse. Because God has reconciled us and we're called to be Ministers of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. Do you hear that? The church is the hope for the world. We are his ambassadors. You know what ambassadors do? They go to people that are not part of their kingdom, and they try to make peace, and they try to work together. We are ambassadors. We speak on behalf of God, and we try to share the good news with others. We are ambassadors of Christ. He has chosen that the church would be his hands and feet, that we would be the ones sharing this message of reconciliation. That's us. He's given that to us, making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love that we do Summer Quest every year. I hope it grows every year. We were at 10 sites this year. Instead of having people come to us, we went to them. There were 10 sites. We were in playgrounds and parks and houses, backyards. And there's one particular site in which the people that led that group, it was beautiful. They came together and they prayed and they said, you know what? Our life is too comfortable. It's too easy. We live in a Christian bubble and there's hurting people out there. And they said, Summer Quest can't end at the beginning of June. So every Wednesday, every Wednesday, They are volunteering their time to go back to Lincoln Park and just love on the kids there and the families because they don't want what God's doing to end. That's the goal. That's the church. That's the church being the church. Why do they do this? Because they love God. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. And if God has loved you first and you know you love him, there will be a love in your heart for others. God will be a catalyst within you to spur that fire on inside you to go be a, an ambassador for Him. Reconcile the world to Him. So we're called to be peacemakers on God's behalf and that's evangelism. And lastly, we're called to make peace between people and others. And that's called mediation. We're called to be peacemakers for others. You know, sometimes... Believe it or not, I haven't sinned against someone else and they haven't sinned against me. But there's people that have conflict like in marriages and neighbors and people in the church that are, you know, have a disagreement and maybe a misunderstanding. A lot of times it's just misunderstanding, lack of communication. And the enemy wants to use that to grow his root of bitterness inside you, to mess you up. And God doesn't want that. and So we're called to be mediators. That's, I think that's shown the best in the letter to the Philemon. To Philemon. But I want to read out of Philippians first. I want, you to, I want you to hear this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. This is Paul writing to a group of believers, not unlike yourself. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche. You know, just common names. I urge those two women. I urge you to agree in the Lord. That means come together, be unified Be reconciled together, agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, plural, the church, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. Now I'm urging you, church family, you help these women reconcile. That's called mediation. God has called us to help others live at peace with one another. Now, since it's Father's Day, I thought I would point out how we do this with our kids. You know, with my kids, and they'll attest to this and probably tell their therapist when they're older, when they do something wrong, I say, come here, and then we go in the room. And they don't really like it, but they know we're about to have a long conversation. And I make them talk it out. I make them process everything. Everything. I want them to speak about it all, and so I tell them, okay, come here. And I tell them, no interrupting each other. You talk first. Tell me what happened. And sometimes one of the kids will be like, and I'm like, no, 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 no interrupting. Just calmly. Just come on. Just tell me. And I'll make one tell the story, their side of the story. I'll make the other tell their side of the story, and I try to bring peace. I try to identify what's going on, and I give them the rule of what's happening, and I make them talk. But my wife is smarter than I am she's wiser and so she went and bought a 3xl shirt and in our house when they have conflicts with one another this just happened actually my five-year-old daughter amelia and her lovely older brother russell who's eight years old so just imagine an eight and a five-year-old trying to resolve things together kind of reminds me of like north and south korea and so they she puts them in a shirt in this big shirt and of course my five-year-old daughter Can switch emotions in the blink of an eye. You know that passage, the twinkling of an eye, it's like one thirteenth of a thousandth of a second. That's my daughter can change from happy to sad. She could smile and cry at the same time. So she's upset. As soon as they put the shirt on, she hugs Russell. Oh, I love you. And of course, Russell is thinking, I hate my life, you know, and they fall over. Her older brother doesn't want any of that. He doesn't want all that. But she makes them come together and be unified because we love our kids. We love our kids and we want them to reconcile. We want them to love each other. We want them to forgive each other. We want them to do right. We want them to apologize. As Father's Day, you fathers are called by God to be peacemakers in your home. Now, even though this isn't really part of the sermon, your first step, dads, dads, I really want you to hear me in this. Your first step, fathers, are to have peace between you and your wife. And I don't care how many nails you got to drive in and how tired your arm is, you need to live at peace with your wife. Peter tells us, live with our wives in an understanding way. You love them and cherish them. You don't know how long you'll have them. You take care of them. Through that, you will teach your kids a lot about peace. And then you also be a peacemaker in your home, bringing peace between your kids. We're called to be peacemakers. Philippians is one chapter, so we don't say a chapter. Philippians verses 15 through 17, Paul is writing to a man that was a slave that he wanted to be at peace with his master. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you may get him back permanently. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And listen to verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. I preached through the book of Genesis one year to a, a group of kids. It took me six months. Preach through, But we, like, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, we preached a lot there. And I preached through the, actually, I think it took me a year, but anyway, I preached through the book of Genesis. And I remember in the beginning when Cain and Abel are having their skerfuffle, and, uh, and I know Cain kills Abel, and that's serious, but he, anyway, they're having their, their fight. And, and God, and, and Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? You know what the answer to that is? No, you're not your brother's keeper. Listen to this. You're your brother's brother. You're your brother's brother. You're not some employee, some manager. You're not a taskmaster. You are all brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why God never answers them back and says yes. He missed the whole thing in the first place. You are more than your brother's keeper. You're your brother's brother. Romans 12, verse 19, friends, and this is my charge to you, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. Some of you don't have peace because you have unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. And that unforgiveness has grown bitterness. And that bitterness is a poison in your life. And you need to forgive. Don't avenge yourself. Entrust yourself to the Lord. Like Peter writes about Jesus, who even though he was battered and persecuted, he never, never spoke out. He didn't call his 10,000 angels down. He didn't fight against those who were liars and wrong against him. But he entrusted himself to God, who he knew was a good judge and would one day avenge him. God calls us do not avenge yourself. Don't try to make it right. Forgive them. I just heard this prayer. Part of this is uh, Neil Anderson's, if you've read his Bondage Breaker and other things, Neil Anderson's a minister. And he has this prayer in there. And and when you forgive someone, you choose to forgive. You don't feel like forgiving always, but you choose to forgive. God, I, I choose to forgive them. They have no debt. And I also forgive them. I let go of any expectation that they will try to make it right, that they will do the good thing. I just let that go. Being a godly peacemaker means they don't have to do the work. I forgive. Friends, live in harmony with one another and don't avenge yourselves. Live at peace. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Because God did all the work to make peace between you and him. Didn't he? Could any of you testify and witness to the fact that God and God alone worked and did, paid the whole price to make peace between you and him? Did he do that? I want to hear it. Did he really? Did Jesus do all the work for you to be at peace with him? Yes. yes. And you know what he asks us? I want you to forgive them like I forgave you. I want you to love them as I have loved you. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those are the children of God. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I just want to amen and shout it. You showed your love for us and that while we were still sinners, you died for us. While we were helpless and could not forgive ourselves and couldn't make peace between us and you, You you gave the ultimate price, the cost of sending your son to suffer and die in our place. He never sinned. He was sinless, and he died for us. He went the whole way, not part of the way, 100% of the way. Salvation belongs to you and you alone. We would not be right with you if it were not for what you have done. To you belong all the praise and the honor and glory. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. Would you help us to be peacemakers? Change our hearts. Forgive us of our bitterness, our unforgiveness, our harshness. We need your spirit to work in us and among us. Help us to be peacemakers so that we could truly be your ministers of reconciliation, giving the message that you desire to reconcile the whole world to yourself. We love you because you first loved us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand for the sending. And, and I don't know if they're going to call me the crying pastor one day. I don't know if that's going to happen. But some of you guys are a little emotionally constipated and this is hard for you. I just I want you to think... You know that woman that cried at the feet of Jesus? And I know it's a woman. I'm not afraid of it. That's like me. I should have never been saved. God did all the work to seek and to save me. And I'll never get over it. I'm not ashamed of it. I can't help but cry when I think of God's love for me. And I can't help but cry when I think of God's love for you and what he wants to do in this very church family. So here's your charge. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that you do, love God boldly. Wherever God has placed you, love people sacrificially and look for opportunities to lead others to do the same. You are the church. Now go be the church. Grace, we are sent.